This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Right now, though, I want to revisit a story that uh, unfortunately remains a story. And how are we going to get our, uh, some kind of a grip on this, this uh, fentanyl crisis that continues to unfold here in Alberta? Not just in Alberta. Obviously, B.C. is, is dealing with this, too. Uh, but it seems as though we remain in, in a crisis situation. Now, the story last week, though, the, uh, the New Democrats are trying to portray their efforts to respond to this as a success story. These uh, naloxone kits have been uh, widely dispensed now. In fact, uh, they've nearly tripled the amount of those uh, kits that have been made available because of the changes that you don't need a prescription. Uh, those kits can help offset a, a fentanyl overdose and save lives. So that's good. But at the same time, the number of overdose deaths continue to go up. So we're obviously not getting a handle on this. And we shouldn't pretend at all uh, that this crisis is, is over or anything close to that. Joining us uh, for more, Dr. Hakik Varani joins us. He's a public health and preventative medicine and addiction uh, specialist at the University of Alberta. He's a clinical assistant professor there as well. Dr. Varani, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Hey, good afternoon. All right. Well, explain where we're at. I, I think it's a positive development that more of these naloxone kits are being made available, that it's easier to obtain. But uh, obviously, we're not really putting a dent in the problem yet, are we? I I think you know your characterization of the situation as obviously not better is about as as good as I could do myself. I mean it's terrific that um we've seen almost a tripling of the weekly take-home naloxone kit distribution compared to before May of last year. That's fantastic. Um and we do know that it's saving lives. But here's the math. Um you've got an increased number of reversed overdoses with naloxone kits. And you've got an increased number of fatal overdoses. So that amounts to an increased number of total overdoses. Um, you're quite right. Obviously, the problem is not getting better. I mean, we cannot rest on our laurels that naloxone kit distribution has, um, has expanded. Um, we've not done anything with respect to treatment, nothing that's made a dent in the problem. Well, and why, why isn't it then, if we're, we're making this life-saving kit available that we can prevent overdose deaths, why aren't we seeing a reduction then in the number of fatal overdoses? Well, we're seeing a reduction in what we otherwise would have seen, right? So this year in the first six months, we saw at least 153 fatal overdoses involving fentanyl which is about 10% more than the clip last year. Mm-hmm. Um, we would have seen even more than that if not for naloxone. Um, here's the thing, though. Naloxone does not treat addiction. Um, as an example, I saw a fellow on, uh, on Thursday afternoon who presented for treatment, uh, finally getting a spot for medication-assisted therapy after his seventh overdose. So, you know, when you save a life... Um, in somebody who's overdosed on fentanyl or another opioid, they go through withdrawal, they leave the hospital, and uh, they relapse, which is what's expected in, in uh, an addiction to opioids. And when they relapse, the likelihood of overdose is about the same as it was before, if not greater. So we're going to continue to see increased numbers of both non-fatal and fatal overdoses if we don't address this in the way that experts have been calling for for, well, a couple of years now. 
Okay, and we can talk about what that looks like. Let me get your reaction then to, to the statement last week from Associate Health Minister Brandy Payne, who says, quote, we feel that the plan is working. The fact that the numbers seem to be relatively stable helps us to know we're on the right track. So what do you make of that kind of a comment then? Um, it's frightening uh, that that's the, um, that that's the, either the impression or the spin um, uh, that the Associate Minister has decided to put on this. I mean, look, in 2015, we saw 274 deaths. Um, we're on uh, the path to seeing more than 306 this year. So that's an increase of more than 30. That's a, So our total in 2016 will be about a 5,000% increase over 2011. Um, the increase alone is uh, amounts to the total number of deaths in 2012. So you can spin the numbers any way that you want. Um, this is a bad, bad situation. Not to mention that, it, forget percentages, that's 30 extra people's lives that have been lost because we've not done enough. Um, forgive me for being frustrated and also frightened that this is the approach that uh, our health ministry has decided to take to communicating what's happening with fentanyl. All right. Well, when you talk about then the, the steps that need to be taken to, to really and truly address this, so where, where do we begin? What does that look like? Well, so naloxone was a good first step, um, you know, and kudos to the government for uh, for doing that and being a leader in terms of making it a non-prescription status and figuring out the operations that have allowed them to triple the distribution. That's that's great. The other things that need to be done, um, expansion of harm reduction services, including supervised drug use spaces so that we can catch overdoses uh, in people who uh, otherwise would suffer a fatal one. Um, rapid and massive expansion in treatment to medication-assisted uh, therapy. Uh, there was an article in uh, CBC the other day about how in British Columbia, you call around to um, uh, treatment programs and find that the availability of evidence-based medication-assisted treatment is just so poor, um, and BC is doing a better job of that than we are in Alberta. That can't continue. Um, you know, other things that we ought to be ought to have done long ago was um, improve our ability to conduct public health surveillance on this problem um, you know the fact that all we know publicly is um, how many fentanyl associated deaths that we have and we only learn that every six months three months after the period that they're reporting hardly amounts to good public health surveillance you could imagine what the hue and cry would be if that's how we were approaching zika virus or ebola um, the other thing that uh, I think is, is heartening to see that, that uh, our physician leadership has done uh, over the weekend, Dr. Seaman from the College of Physicians and Surgeons described how our college is going to address the physician contribution in terms of prescription opioids to this problem. But he was quite clear um, that can't happen in isolation. And um, the authorities, be they the ministry or Alberta Health Services, really need to get on top of providing treatment for people who have become dependent on opioids. And if that doesn't happen, um, physician measures to reduce prescribing might actually be disastrous because it might push people to the use of, of street opioids, which are more likely to be fatal in the current context. And then federally, I think that there's uh, a lot of work to be done in terms of smarter drug policy that, that looks a lot less like a a war on drugs uh, and more like a, a risk mitigation strategy so that people who get into trouble with using drugs don't die from them and they get a chance at a life afterwards. Mm -hmm. Now, I had a text from a listener wondering, because it, it seems like this is uh, a problem that's 
almost exclusive to, to BC in Alberta. Is there a reason for that? Or are we seeing uh, similar problems elsewhere in Canada? Oh, we are. It's throughout North America. The interesting thing is that we started seeing fentanyl regularly in 2012 and 2013 in Alberta. And you'll recall that Blood Tribe uh, in southern Alberta declared a a state of emergency at the beginning of last year. And so we were sort of ground zero, and it spread to other parts of the country and possibly North America from here. Um, So it's it's concerning that when we hear the associate minister pointing to spikes in other provinces as evidence that we're in okay shape here, it, it's so shocking. I mean, in, in Ohio, um, there were dozens of deaths um, over a weekend, last weekend. Um, we're seeing deaths increasing in BC. I've spoken to colleagues in Ontario who've been seeing fentanyl-related deaths and um, people addicted uh, to opioids, including fentanyl, for the last two to three years. Um, so it's uh, it's certainly not isolated to Alberta and BC, but it's pretty clear that um, the mess started here. Well, yeah, it certainly seems that way. Now, it's interesting you mentioned uh, supervised drug use sites, which uh, you know, and I think that there's a strong case to be made for that. Problem is with the crisis we're facing now and the the requirements that you know there be extensive consultation before Ottawa ultimately approves that kind of a facility, and we'd be talking about a, a few years out, wouldn't we? You're talking about a few years out, unfortunately, and several binders of consultation work that mm-hmm. uh, weren't weren't required before um, the previous federal government um, passed Bill C two. And at the time that Bill C two was being discussed, our current federal government, when they were in opposition. Um, did not support it. And yet, here we are, uh, you know, almost uh, several months after um, we've had a new government and that bill has yet to be repealed. And um, that's that's a real tragedy. Uh, we know that supervised um, drug use spaces could have saved lives in Alberta and elsewhere in the country. There are several proposals waiting to be approved. Um, we have a supportive mayor here in Edmonton, and in fact, over the weekend, our College of uh, Physicians and Surgeons also was very clear that they endorsed this as good evidence-based public health practice. Um, and yet, when our provincial government describes harm reduction programming, that conversation is limited to naloxone. We need to go much, much further than that to protect human life. When you look at inside, though, in the downtown east side, that's where you have uh, a problem that's really concentrated in a relatively small area. I think what we've seen in Alberta is just how spread out this problem is. Um, that where would where, where would we even put this kind of a facility? You know, we've got some really bright minds at the University of Alberta and in some of our non-governmental organizations working on this exact um, issue, and they've got some creative ideas of how to integrate this with um, with healthcare services in a way that really uh, has a limited uh, negative impact on communities and and, uh, a huge upside in terms of protecting human life, as well as providing an entry point for folks um, who are struggling with drug use into more definitive treatment when they feel ready. Um, So, you know, there's the geographic distribution of these, which is a consideration, but integrating this as part of just the way that we do healthcare for people who have a chronic condition um, that's disordered substance use, uh, it, it's really the the evidence-based and compassionate way that we should be providing health care. And in the meantime, um, this isn't going away anytime soon. 
doesn't look that way. I mean, um, not if we're unwilling to do extraordinary things because our ordinary measures are clearly not working and they will not work. One of the conversations that uh, unfortunately is is um, stumped by uh, by our present provincial government, it's been going on for quite some time. Uh, in question period several months ago, the Wild Rose um, had had uh, demanded a satisfactory answer to the question of why have we not declared a public health emergency? And uh, last week, um, Dr. Swan uh, of the Alberta Liberals was asking the same question. And I don't have an answer to that question for anybody asks me. Um, we're in a situation where the burden from this health hazard of fentanyl is so much greater than what we're used to. And the magnitude um, of that burden is 10 times in terms of deaths, the number of deaths from influenza. Um, if we ever had an infectious disease that caused that amount of death, you could bet that public health would be clamoring to declare a state of emergency and moving resources around to protect public health. And here we have really, really um, simple interventions that we know work to reduce overdose death. Um, and uh, if we had resources to deploy those, they're not expensive per person who uses them. Um, and it, it requires that uh, the government has special authorities to move around pieces within our health system to make sure that those things get done. And the other thing that we had talked about is public health surveillance and the importance of collecting information from multiple sources to characterize this problem. Uh, health doesn't have authority over, you know, folks like Justice, where the medical examiner's office sits. And to get fatality data, um, if it required uh, uh, mandatory reporting that's decreed by the health minister or the chief medical officer of health, uh, in the state of a public health emergency, that would be possible. So, I mean, there's so many reasons why one would declare a public health emergency. And really, the only reason that I can think of not to um, would be that you're embarrassed you haven't done it already. That's a good point. We'll leave it there, Dr. Varani, and uh, we'll, we'll see maybe whether there's uh, a different approach taken here. Clearly, one's needed. Uh, thanks so much for making some time for us here this afternoon. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Take care. Uh, Dr. Hakik Varani of the University of Alberta, uh, specialist in public health and preventative medicine and addiction medicine. We're back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.